This evening, as I said, we're going to start a series of studies beginning with Joseph. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 37. You can turn there. And uh, we're probably only going to read one verse from 37 tonight. Tonight is pretty much an introduction. And then uh, as, as we move forward next week, we'll, we'll get into more of, of, you know, Joseph's life and uh, cover the, the things that he went through. But Joseph is a model of character. He's a model of character. And his story is a remarkable story. It's the story of Joseph's rise to power in Egypt. And it's, it's not just about a person's rise from a state of poverty to one of great wealth. It's not a story about, you know, the ones like you see in the movie, oh, he grew up poor and he was poor, and, you know, and he had bad luck. And, you know, it's not about one's luck. It's not about one knowing all the right people and all the stars are aligned and everything just happened. And, and you know, if he was in the right place at the right time, knowing the right people. Again, that kind of stuff that the movies are made out of. It's basically the story about how the Lord created a nation out of a messed up family. And again, it's how what God can do with messed up people, messed up families, messed up situations. Jacob's family was messed up. It was troubled by jealousy. Rachel was jealous of Leah. Leah's sons inherited this pattern of jealousy. They were so jealous of Joseph that they sold him as a slave. It may have been that Reuben abused Bilhah. And we'll learn more about these people that I'm talking about as we go along. It may have been that Reuben abused Bilhah because of jealousy towards Benjamin. Also, the family was falling apart. They were breaking up. After Joseph, Joseph was sold into slavery, Judah left the family. And, and he hung out with the Canaanites. And he married a Canaanite woman. Not a woman from the family of God. Simeon followed Judah's lead. By also marrying a Canaanite wife. So with these jealousies and these divisions, Jacob's family, which was the family of God's wonderful eternal promises, was becoming more and more like the pagan Canaanite community around them. But the Lord, in his grace and his mercy, didn't let the troubles of this family keep him from fulfilling his good purposes. He had promised to make a great nation from it. A nation that would spread his blessings through the whole earth. Jacob's family was divided in the worst way. But God worked out the events so that the family was reunited. And through an extraordinary series of circumstances, God raised up Joseph, as I said, from the position of a slave and prisoner to administrator or like a governor of Egypt. He became Pharaoh's right-hand man. God transformed the evil plans of Joseph's brothers into something good. This is a reminder of what happened on the cross. Peter said of Jesus, being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands Jesus and crucified and put to death whom God raised up. Acts 20, I'm sorry, Acts 2, 23 and 24. Out of the greatest sin ever committed by mankind, God brought the greatest blessing that ever came to man. And as the administrator of the Egyptians planned to survive the coming famine, 
Joseph could save the lives of many people in that time, in that ancient world. And with his new name, Zaphnath Paneah, which, which, which means God speaks and lives, and his remarkable story, Joseph could witness to these people about the power and the goodness of the living God. And the name that Pharaoh gave to Joseph when he raised him up to the rank of prime minister or high executive office of the kingdom. All right, this is a pure Egyptian word. Zephnath uh, This is a pure Egyptian word and it's been variously explained. Some think it means creator or preserver of life or governor of a district of the place of life. For example, uh, Goshen or the chief city of which was Python. Or the place, uh, the place of life. Again, all different names that are thought to be of, again, Zaphnathpania. Others explained it as meaning a revealer of secrets. Or the man to whom secrets are revealed. But God's plan did not end there. God used the physical hardship of famine to reunite Israel's family. And when Joseph's brothers saw him... Not only did they confess how sorrowful they were for what they did to him, for their evil behavior, but they proved it with a new loyalty to their half-brother Benjamin later on. Judah, who had left the family and the pressures of famine, compelled Jacob to move closer to Egypt, to the land of Goshen. And God used the evil attitudes of the Egyptians and their hatred of shepherds to isolate the family there. And in this position... God could develop a nation dedicated to worshiping and obeying him. In all the extraordinary events of Joseph's life, of his story, God kept his faithful promises to Abraham. He created a nation out of Jacob's family through a tangled mess of jealousy, family divisions, and racial hatred. As a youngster, Joseph was overconfident. His natural self-assurance, which was probably increased by being Jacob's favorite son and knowing what God had planned for his Joseph's life had, had given him this, 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 this confidence, this self-confidence. But it was unbearable to his 10 brothers. They couldn't handle it. Who, who eventually came together and conspired against Joseph and worked out a plan to come against him. But again, Joseph's self-assurance that was kind of created by pain that he experienced together with a personal knowledge of God, allowed him to survive and to prosper where most would have failed. He added quiet wisdom to his confidence. And he won the hearts of, of everybody that he met, including Potiphar, the warden, other prisoners, the pharaoh, and after many years, even his ten brothers who dealt treacherously with him. In all of this, in all of this, maybe you can relate. And here's the important thing as we go through these studies. See where you might have experienced some of these things. If maybe you can relate to one or more of these hardships that Joseph went through. Joseph was betrayed. He was deserted by his family. He was exposed to sexual temptation. He was punished for doing the right thing. He spent a long time in prison and he was forgotten by the people that he helped. So you see, as, you, as you, we go through this story of Joseph, take notes on what Joseph did in each one of these situations. Because most men 
Man, and he was a teenager when this all began. Most men would have murmured and complained and doubted God and asked the big why. They would have asked questions about, God, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this in my life? Most men would have given up. And I heard someone say one time that, you know, again, with, with the day, today's psychology, if Joseph would have sat before a psychologist and, and, and the psychologist learned of all these things that Joseph experienced, the desertion, the hatred, the pain and the sorrows and everything they went through, the psychiatrist would have said Joseph would have been an, an, a, a, a messed up kid because of everything that he experienced in his life which is the total opposite notice his response in all of these situations that joseph went through was to move forward to continue moving forward he didn't spend a lot of time of sulking and wondering why instead his attitude was okay lord what shall i do now and those who met Joseph were aware that, what, what, that wherever he went and whatever he did, God was with them. And when you're facing a setback, the beginning of a Joseph-like attitude is acknowledged that God is with you. God said in Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Acts 27, verse 22 through 25, read it from the New Living Translation. The scripture said, but take, take courage. Paul was, remember when Paul was uh, on, on the ship uh, to, to Malta and it looked like they were going to make it? He tells them, but be of good courage. None of you will lose your lives, even though the ship will go down. That doesn't sound very encouraging, but this is the confidence that Paul had in the Lord. For last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, <clears throat> stood by me. See, he was aware of God's presence. And he said, Paul, don't be afraid. For you will surely stand trial before Caesar. What's more... God in his goodness has granted safety to everyone sailing with you. So that, so take courage, for I believe God, Paul said, it will be just as he said. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 20, I, will, I, I am with you always. In Genesis 28, 15, God said, I am with you, Abraham, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Joshua, he said in Joshua 1, be strong and good, of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. There is nothing like knowing his presence is with you. To shed new light and new courage on a dark situation. There's a lot that's written about Joseph in the Bible because you see, he's a great example of honorable behavior, honorable conduct. His life is nearly above reproach. And because it gives valuable instruction and encouragement in the matter of God honoring behavior. Joseph had such a mixed up, messed up life. And yet in every situation, he shows us how to live uprightly and to live faithfully for God. This great example of character stands nearly alone in scripture when it comes to excellent conduct. Because very few men in the scripture give such a great example of godly living as Joseph does. Joseph is also a marvelous demonstration of Jesus Christ. He's a type of Christ. In many ways, Joseph is an excellent type of Christ. And this by itself alone deserves 
to have a lot written about Joseph's life. Because Jesus is the main theme of the Bible. And Joseph's story definitely emphasizes this blessed and enlightening truth. And we'll see in many ways how Joseph himself is a type of Christ. So the inspiring and instructive instructive story of Joseph really got started when Joseph was 17 years old. Notice verse 2 of chapter 37. It says, Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. So again, he was just a teenager, but an exceptional teenager. You know, he wasn't like a lot of teenagers. He already had character deeply entrenched in him, deeply engraved in his heart. And he had a strong conviction that controlled his behavior. Not, you know, not that common in teenagers. So the idea that we can't expect young people to show much godliness until they're considerably older isn't supported by Joseph's life. You don't have to be old. You don't have to be retired. You don't have to be past your best years to have strong character and conviction. Paul exhorted Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. So not only is it possible to live godly at an early age, like Joseph's life shows us, but it also saves one from a lot of ruin, a lot of losses in their life, a lot of wasted time. The earlier you start to live for God, the fewer the years that are wasted, along with its destruction and its scars and its regrets. Before chapter, uh, before Genesis 37, again, like I said, where the story of Joseph really begins, Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel, gave birth to his favorite son, Joseph. Rachel didn't, Rachel didn't have any children for many years. And she had to watch in envy and despair as Leah and Bilhah and, and, and Zilpah, Zilpah gave, birth to the, to, uh, birth, gave birth to sons for Jacob. Ten sons were born before Joseph came along. And then finally Joseph was born. And what a great time to rejoice because this particular son's character was worth more than the other sons of Jacob all put together. But Rachel's barrenness, it wasn't just about numbers. Not, you know, it it wasn't just about a matter of numbers. Not in quality. Quality is character, but numbers are often, you know, something else. Quality is the important number or the number and the important thing. Then we see the appearance of Joseph in Genesis 33 too. Esau and 400 men were approaching the camp of Jacob. And to protect the camp from possible attack by Esau, again, because that's a, because Jacob had, you know, received the birthright over or Esau and Esau was upset and he was coming after Joseph. And Joseph saw that he knew that he was coming. He was coming with 400 men. Jacob divided up his family into several groups. Rachel and Joseph were put at the rear of the group, where at the rear of the group, they would have had the most protection, the best protection. They were Jacob's prized possessions. And so he gave them the best protection. The more valuable our possession, the greater it should be protected. The greater protection we'll give to it. Our most valuable possession, when we re, whether we realize it or not, is our character and our spiritual blessings. 
And these things need to be given the best protection that we can possibly give them. We need to treat them like Jacob treated Rachel and Joseph. And Esau's visit, it turned out to be a good one. It turned out to be a peaceful one. So it allows us to see Joseph again before chapter 37. Rachel and Joseph are brought forward to meet Esau. And in, chapter, in Genesis 33, verse 7, it says that they bowed in respectful greeting to Esau. Joseph had been taught good manners. And he demonstrated them in this situation. A lot of young people, as well as many adults, could learn from Joseph's example here. Poor manners is evidence that there's a lack of proper respect and it doesn't speak well of a person's character. And then the last mention of Joseph before we get into chapter 37 is simply the listing of his name in the genealogy of Jacob's sons in Genesis thirty-five twenty-three. But there's a sad note to it. Joseph is listed with only his younger brother, Benjamin, the other son born to his mother, Rachel. And it was Benjamin's birth that left Joseph without his mother because she, you know, she, she died giving childbirth to Benjamin. So it was a sad day in Joseph's young life, losing his mother on top of everything else that he experienced. Her death helped Joseph, though, to learn early about trials and sorrows. Joseph had some other experiences as well when he was young that also taught this lesson. First instance was the sudden departure of Jacob and his family from Laban. They had, they had to pick up and leave really quick because they feared that, that they were going to come to his home when they th- heard that his brother Esau was coming to meet them. Also, there was the troubling sight of his father limping into camp one morning, remember, at, at Penuel after wrestling with God all night? Then there was the bloody ordeal at Shechem. And all of these things, all of these incidents had to leave a deep and painful impression on Joseph's young heart, as did the the death of his mother. But God, and here's the thing, here's the thing that we really have to understand, and we teach it and we hear it, but when these times come, like Joseph is going, I think we forget about it. God was putting Joseph through a school of preparation for service. Training, if you will. A school where the greater and rougher the training, the greater and more rewarding the surface, the service ahead is going to be. David went through the same school of preparation. Running for years from King Saul. Why? God was preparing him to be a king. But he had to learn all, through, through all of the things that he went through how to deal with those situations and how to trust in God to get through those situations. And it's the same for us. It's a school that none of us want to enroll in voluntarily. <laughs> yeah, Lord, I'd like to sign up for your school of preparation. I'd love to learn the hard way. No, that's why he has to do it on his own to us. He's not picking on us. He's not being mean, but he's preparing us. He said, I didn't twist your arm to come to the kingdom. But he said, I I, I saved you for a reason. For service. It's obvious from the history of Joseph's life, life that these trials in his early life helped to build him in his character and in the faith that he so wonderfully demonstrated all through his whole life. 
One of the first things we learn about Joseph in the Bible is his purity, his holiness. And it's most fitting to learn about this fact at the start of the story of Joseph because purity was significant in Joseph's life. His purity brought a lot of blessing and honor from God, but it also brought him a lot of trouble and suffering from his enemies. And purity always does this to a person. It promotes the finest of blessings, but man, it also produces the worst kind of trials. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul said, Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The dedicated believer is a special target of the enemy. It's like you have a bullseye on your chest. You're a special target of persecution. Purity invites persecution. Faith invites persecution. We're getting a little bit of it, you know, right now as we live and see how, how the world is coming down on the church and Christianity and the word of God. Those who would live the, a principled life or one of purity, you, you can't let the trials detract you from pursuing the blessings of God. Joseph's purity is seen in a couple of ways. And we can see Joseph's purity first in the report that he gave to his father about his brothers. Look at verse, 30, uh, uh, verse 2 again of chapter 37. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them, that is of his brothers, to his father. Now, even though Joseph was Jacob's favorite son... He didn't get special treatment when it came to work. You know, he didn't get to just sit around and watch his brothers work. Verse 2 says he was feeding the flock with his brothers. He was working alongside them. He was working with them. But he noticed something about his brothers. Something wasn't right. So what did he do? He told his father. Now, his brothers weren't a bunch of angels, a bunch of good guys who happened to be a little naughty on that particular day that, and Joseph saw it and, and, and he went to tell his father. These brothers of Joseph, they had a history behind them. In Genesis, we, we, meet, we, meet, uh, we read that they were, there, there was murder, there was incest, there was hatred, there was envy, there was, there was selling Joseph into slavery, there was lying, there was immorality by these brothers. So they weren't, a bunch of good little boys. Now, was Joseph being a, a bratty little tattletale brother on that day? Or was he legitimately reporting something really bad that his brothers were doing or something that his brothers, his father had to know about? How can we tell? Well, verse 2 says, again, notice that, that it, Joseph reported whatever his brothers did or were doing to who? His father. His father. So whatever they had done, it seemed bad enough that Jacob. Uh, it seemed bad enough that that Jacob needed to know about it. He needed to know what his sons were doing, and usually when it's gossip or it's tail bearing, as the Bible calls it, the gossip the gossiper usually goes and tells the wrong people. It makes a big difference who you tell. Because the gossip will either stop 
or spread depending on who you tell it to. Tale bearers, gossipers have a habit of telling evil things only to those who will spread evil and not stop it. Solomon said in Proverbs 26, 20, where there is no wood, the fire goes out and where there is no tale bearer, strife ceases. Secondly, Joseph spoke the truth. As a keeper of his father's flocks, Joseph and his brothers had a duty to keep their father informed about the condition of the flocks. So, because of Joseph's high character, he wouldn't allow his father to be deceived by a false report of his his sons, Joseph's brothers, which would include how they were taking care of the flocks. And sometimes good people have a duty to speak out against evil like Joseph did. We've all heard the expression how silence is golden, but not in all situations. When sin is out in the open, we're not just to, to wink at it. We're not to just, no, it, and do nothing about it because then it makes us partakers of that sin. We have a duty to speak up to the right people who can take action against it and hopefully get the gossiper to stop and repent. James warns us about evil speaking in in James chapter 4, verse 11. He says, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. But that doesn't mean we're never to expose or condemn evil. Instead, it teaches us not to speak without having all the facts first or, or not to speak in a harmful way. You know, Paul said to speak the truth, but speak it in love. Being concerned for the others. Jesus taught the same thing in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. But it's often misunderstood and misused. Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. And boy, how many people will say, oh, you're not supposed to, you, you can't judge me. And this is true. But Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. James and Jesus is not teaching us never to speak out against evil. But they exhort us to be careful that we're tactful and we're honest when it comes to condemning evil. Many preachers and many Christians who have faithfully condemned sin and exposed evil teachers and apostates, they've been harshly criticized for doing that. And, it's been, and, and these two verses have been used for that. Those who seem to be in agreement with the devil need to be reminded of what Isaiah said in Isaiah 58.1. He said, cry aloud and spare not. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. In other words, don't be timid. Tell my people their transgression. And there are times when we have the duty that's put on us by our Heavenly Father to speak out against evil and to expose it. Dr. H, uh, Dr. Harry Ironside, great Bible teacher, said this about exposing evil. He said, error is like leaven, of which we read a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Truth mixed with error is equivalent to all error, except that it is more innocent looking and therefore more dangerous. God hates such a mixture. Any error or any truth and error mixture calls for definite exposure exposure and repudiation. He said to condone such, that is evil, is to be unfaithful to God and his word and treacherous to imperil souls for whom Christ died. Another reason that we know Joseph wasn't being a little tattletale on his bigger brothers is that Joseph was opposed to evil. He was against evil. He reported the evil of his brothers 
you know, of what they were involved in, he reported it to his father. Because Joseph's character was of such high quality, that quality in Joseph's life would not tolerate evil. It wouldn't tolerate evil. Joseph's behavior was so different than his brother's. And later on in the story of Joseph, in Genesis chapter 49, verse 26, Jacob says, Joseph was separate from his brothers. Joseph was separate from his brothers. He was different than his brothers. He wasn't like them. And the word separate there means consecrated, like a Nazarite. Remember, a Nazarite would take a vow to God, wouldn't cut his hair and wouldn't you know, drink any intoxicating drink. He just, he just separated himself totally to God. And that's what the word means here, to be consecrated like a Nazarite. And Joseph really was different. He stood apart from his brothers in so many ways. But most noticeably, it was in his conduct. And even though Joseph worked alongside his brothers in the fields, with the flocks, in those early years of his life, he didn't participate with his brothers in their evil. He wouldn't go along with them. He refused to go along with the crowd. He stood alone. He stood upright. He was going to do the right thing. Joseph showed that we don't have to be and do like everybody else. We're called to be separated. And Joseph's a great example of that here. And he'll, we'll see him exhibit that behavior later on. Just because nearly everyone else is living on such a low level, such a low standard of morality and wallowing in the mire of sin, that is no reason for us to do it. And nobody will experience more peer pressure than Joseph did. Peer pressure is tough. When we are, and we are being pressured in this world. Christians too, big time. To conform to conform to the ways of the world, to conform to the ideas of the world. Peer pressure to conform may be very powerful. But we know what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. How? Through the word of God, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Peer pressure is tough. But you got to be tougher. And the only way you can do that with, is knowing the word of God, having a, 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 an intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you will cave in to the pressure of this world. Listen to Matthew chapter 27, verses 15 through 24. And again, you're familiar with the story. How Pilate caved into the peer pressure of the religious leaders. Knowing though he was right to not do anything with Jesus. But he, you know, he was afraid of his position. He was afraid of losing his job. His, his, his you know, uh, friendship with all the people. It says, now at the feast... Now at the feast, the governor, Pontius Pilate, he was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? Because he knew 
that they handed him, that is Jesus, over because of envy. Notice, it was envy. It was jealousy. He was drawing a crowd. The religious leaders, man, they were losing people. They were following Christ. They didn't like that. So it was envy for which they turned over Jesus to, to, to Pontius Pilate. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, speaking of Pilate, his wife, Pilate's wife, sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man. She said, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests, the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Notice the pressure. The chief priests, the leaders persuaded the people. They need to ask for for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. And when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. It would be nice if we could just brush that off onto somebody else. But there's an answer, a question that we all have to answer. What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? Crucify him or receive him? Only two answers you can give. And he tried to make himself innocent of of the blood of Jesus Christ by washing his hands of it and saying, hey, you take care of it. Doesn't work that way. All All have to make a personal decision for Jesus Christ. But Pilate was crushed and he caved in to the peer pressure. Peer pressure is not the standard that we determine our conduct by. We are not to be moved by the the opinions of this world, by the pressures of this world. They want us to conform. They want us to, 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 to change our way of thinking. We want to get in line with the culture and with, the, 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 with society and the way of the world, the way it's going. But that's not to determine the way we behave. The Word of God is what determines our conduct. What does the Bible say? We need to be daring. We need to be pure. We need to be daring, bold, encouraged, and encouraged to live as the Word of God says and not to live as the world says. So in closing, standing your holy ground, as you know, is often not popular. As Joseph found out, as Paul found out, as Jesus found out, as all of those who want to live godly for Christ's sake, they, you'll find out. Standing your ground is not often popular. But here's the neat thing. It's always right. And I take peace and comfort in knowing I am always right when I am adhering to the Word of God. It's not a pride thing. It's not because I'm smart. (laughs) I'm always right if I'm adhering to God's Word. And that's what really matters anyway. And we need more Josephs, and if I might, more Josephinas (laughs) today whose significance in life is character and purity. 
We need more men and women today whose significance in life is character and purity, holiness. Hebrews said that for without it, we shall not see God. Without holiness, we will not see God. Our, holy, our salvation hinges upon holiness. Like in Joseph's case. I mean, if that was the case with everybody, it would, how, man, how greatly it would benefit nations. We, we see what our, how our nation is tonight. Because holiness isn't a standard for our nation, for our people. It isn't for most. It's what comes natural. It's whatever my flesh calls out for and whatever it desires, I, I give into it. But, but holiness, character and purity, man, it would greatly benefit nations and it would save multitudes. It would save a whole bunch of people. But most of all, what did Paul say this morning? Whatever we do, it would glorify God. Character, purity, holiness. It would be great for the nation. It would, it would save a whole bunch of people and it would glorify God. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this wonderful story of Joseph, Lord. Father, and this is just the beginning. Lord, I, I look forward to getting into to Joseph's life and, and all of these things that he experienced, Lord. Again, uh, the hatred of his brothers, the, the selling of him into slavery, being left in a pit. Father, again, being abandoned by his family, working in, 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 the, in Potiphar's home, being accused of rape for which he didn't do and spent time in prison and, and on and on it goes, God. The hurt, the, the disappointment he must have felt. God, help us to learn from his example on how to move forward in our life when we struggle with those things, God. Help us not to murmur and complain. Help us not to ask why. But help us to submit, God. Okay, Lord. I don't know what you're doing, but you know what? I don't know what you're doing, but you know what you're doing and why you're doing it. Help me, Lord. Help me to live under the circumstances. Help me to live in the situation at the moment, God. And help me to keep my eyes on you, Lord. For you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.